You're listening to All Things Video, a podcast dedicated to uncovering the past and charting the future of the online video ecosystem. You're listening to All Things Video. I'm your host, James Creech, and today's guest is Taylor Neiman, co-founder and CEO of Toucan. Taylor, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, James. I'm super excited to be here to chat with you. So I thought we'd start off, you know, you had an early introduction to media and entertainment as an intern for Vogue and Condé Nast during your undergraduate years at Columbia. What initially attracted you to the world of print media? So I thought I wanted to live out Devil Wears Prada back in the day. But after living in the reality of fashion, I realized that was not for me. Um, During my internship, I literally had to jump into a rack of clothes to let Anna Wintour pass by. Um, So after that moment, I started realizing, okay, uh, what's out there? What's next? Um, And it actually didn't end up going to Columbia, although that was a dream school of mine. I went upstate to Cornell. Oh, sorry. Did I have that wrong? No worries at all, James. Thank you for correcting me. And what did you study at Cornell? Just communication, business, super broad, kept it general so that I could really lean into whatever I found that I was passionate about. Um, So it would cover fashion or hospitality or tech or banking or anything that I wanted to try out. And one of your first entrepreneurial experiences came in August 2009 uh, when you taught yourself to code in about eight weeks. So I was curious, you know, was that a boot camp? Was this self-study? What motivated you to say, hey, I'm going to teach myself how to code? Yes. So I had an interesting path of coding. I taught myself with YouTube videos, which I think YouTube is probably the best place to learn absolutely anything. And so I just went there, started watching a bunch of videos, capped with the language Swift. And it was really easy for me to build out my first initial MVPs. And why I even tried to do that was I wanted to become dangerous enough to build out the simplest versions of my ideas to then show to an engineer who was way smarter than me, get them excited about joining me in whatever I wanted to build. Had you always considered yourself an entrepreneur and where did the instincts come from? So I never, when I was younger, classified myself as an entrepreneur, but now when I reflect back, I was always trying to solve pain points. And before Toucan, this is actually my fourth time jumping from a full-time, well-paying job to try to create something on my own and off on my own. And so I've always had a very high risk tolerance, which I think has freaked out my friends and family along the way. (laughs) But I've always had that passion to try to build new things and solve my own problems. That's awesome. So tell us about, you know, the first endeavors was, you know, the development of these mobile apps, which you you called Simba. Was that your first true, you know, entrepreneurial experiment? So it was actually my second one. And it's what motivated me to learn how to code. The first iteration and idea that I had, I didn't yet have a network in tech and I didn't know how to code. So I had to recruit a co-founder who was technical and he was a complete stranger. And so as you can imagine, ended miserably. And from that point on, I decided to code to be able to build my ideas on my own. And then the Simba app, I was a solo entrepreneur, but then I was able to code. And so it got me that much farther. And I took so many more of those learnings to go into my third endeavor, um, which was called Lancer. And it was Glassdoor for freelancers. And one of my now co-founders, 
join me on that adventure. We pitched probably a hundred investors. All of them said, this is a terrible idea. Please don't do it. But we love you too as a team. So that was a great experience to be able to understand what the fundraising process looks like and also start building relationships with these amazing investors. And now this fourth time around, there's three of us co-founders, amazing idea, vision, badass team, and we've raised close to $3 million to date in the last 12 months. Amazing. How did you meet your co-founders? So the three of us have worked together across LA Tech. Um, Me and Brandon, who's absolutely incredible in product, were really early at Headspace with me. Um, He led all the new product features and initiatives, and I led all things distribution. And so we kind of were let run loose there pre-funding and scaled to post-series B. And he also was at Riot Games before that. And then I met Sean within Science Incubator. Um, So he was the first employee at a company called Prey.com, scaled at post-series B. And since I worked within the incubator at a portfolio company, but also unofficially across the whole incubator, I got to meet all the employees, the other founders, and I really clicked with Sean because I would pitch him all of my crazy ideas. He would give me feedback, not think too much of it, but I would go home, code up the MVPs, show them to him the next day, and he would be super excited to then jump into my code base and help me solve the problem even further. So when did you initially make the move from East Coast to West Coast? You mentioned some of these uh, you know, pretty high-profile LA startups that you've worked in. So what attracted you to the West Coast? Yes, so I'm born and raised in Hermosa Beach. So LA native, went East Coast for school, upstate New York, which as you can imagine, I was freezing cold and I didn't know what I got myself into. And after having the summers in the city and that experience, I decided to move back to LA where my friends and family were really living. And you worked for some of these pretty prominent early stage companies, right? You mentioned Headspace, you mentioned the kind of um, incubator startup kind of uh, venture studio science, which has had a lot of pretty successful outcomes. And uh, more recently, you worked at, at FAIR. What lessons from that experience had the greatest impact on you during this phase of your career? Oh my goodness, so many learnings. Honestly, as a scrappy generalist joining these high growth tech companies, you can really take on anything that you want to. But I think one of the biggest insights that we've learned from working in consumer tech is that it is really hard to get people to do things and asking people for time out of their day or creating a new habit on top of everything else is hard to actually execute on. And so when we were approaching building Toucan and thinking of how can we get people to learn new things, we decided why would we try to play that game because we're probably not going to win it. So instead, let's intentionally layer on top of existing behaviors and be where people already are. Incredible. So last year, you launched Toucan, which is a free browser extension that helps users learn a new language while browsing the web. So like you said, not trying to replace behavior or create a new habit, but working within something that's already familiar, right? You're you're navigating the web. You can see some of the vocabulary switch to the new language that you're trying to learn. So it just becomes kind of built into that workflow. Where did that inspiration come from? Why, why did you decide to, to build Toucan? Well, to your point, so we wanted to build something that layered on top of existing behaviors. We weren't looking at extensions to start, 
But once we built the first version, and it was the most simple MVP you can imagine, 10 words, English to Spanish, the words were of and the, just to see if there was something interesting here. And we pushed it live, got some strangers to download it at a coffee shop, and we could see the magic in their eye of like, oh, this is really cool. So we started building out hypotheses, proving things right or wrong. And even when we proved any of our questions wrong, the idea still got bigger. So we decided, okay, let's jump. This is the idea. Let's build it out. And really the vision for Toucan is, can we teach people all different types of things, even beyond languages, which is our main core focus today, but eventually the tech could extend into science or history or general trivia. Hmm. Very cool. And using that same kind of foundational technology of just within native web browsing, make it easy for people to, uh, to learn some of these other principles. Correct. So when you're reading New York times in the morning, binge watching Netflix or going down Reddit rabbit holes, we want Toucan to be there helping you learn new things on top of that. And what does the existing landscape look like? I mean, when I think of learning language skills, you, of course, you know, think of like Rosetta Stone and then more recent examples like Duolingo. So kind of the gamification and, and you know, mobile apps for this type of learnings. But why the browser extension and, you know, what's the philosophy on how you're changing this landscape for, for new language learners? So it's very interesting from an efficacy standpoint of getting people to learn new things and a great way from a language acquisition perspective, because we're immersing people into what they already know, love, and would potentially want to learn. So we get the benefit of context of the page to help you learn. And in addition to that, we're not asking you for your time. But if you do want to take 10 minutes to go download an app, open it every single day, or watch YouTube videos, or go to an in-person classroom, take a course, you should totally do that. But that doesn't mean that in addition, you're going to stop browsing the web and can't use Toucan while you're there. And long term, and even just in a few months from now, we're planning on partnering with a lot of these existing players in the space because we can accelerate that learning and even time it out into what you're learning in the classroom in person. Now you're learning as you're browsing or on your Chromebook. Very smart. And that seems to be kind of a thread throughout your career, right? This pattern of forging partnerships, working with other established players to extend you know, your audience or find new monetization opportunities. What has been your philosophy about brokering you know, these partnerships? What do you encourage other early stage founders to consider when thinking about you know, channel sales opportunities or, or broader partnership opportunities? So you're spot on. What I've built my career off of within tech now is distribution. Really, how do we scale these high growth tech companies without paid acquisition, which nowadays is music to a lot of people's ears, but it's what I've been able to figure out over and over again. And I really think that's how a company thrives through these organic channels. And so with Toucan, it's really fun coming in from ground zero and figuring out, okay, what are these channels that work best for Toucan for us to go after? But for instance, at Headspace, I was able to help us get our content into every airline you can imagine for the in-flight entertainment consoles or partnering with Nike to help demystify meditation, make it more accessible to the everyday person. 
partnering with Spotify to become their first ever bundle partner. So let's deconstruct that a little bit. Let's use the Headspace example. That's a good one. What encourages an airline or Spotify to say, okay, you know, here's this this company, Headspace, which maybe we have or haven't heard of, uh, but they're redefining the way that people think about meditation and creating this kind of mobile app experience for people to do that. How do you, as the startup, make sure you're not spinning your wheels because big companies don't always move quickly? And how do you convince the large organizations to take you seriously and find the right contacts and really execute on something like this? How do you make sure it's a good match on both sides? Yes. So this is the most amazing challenge that I live for. So from my perspective, what I try to figure out is what value can we bring to them, right? Because when I was going after partnerships at Headspace, we were not this massive brand name. There wasn't yet a ton of meditations apps out there. So it was really starting from scratch. And so, for instance, airlines, we decided, okay, well, you have people stuck in the plane for hours on end. Their options are movies or TV. Could we actually turn that dead time into useful time and really teach people a new skill like meditation. And so from the airline's perspective, that's super interesting to be able to add even more value to their in-flight entertainment options. So that was the spin we were able to get for that. And from the Headspace side, we wanted to test with one, see if this channel works before putting a lot of resources into me or the team going out and getting every other airline. And once we saw that was working, boom, going after every single one. Um, Another example that I mentioned, Spotify. So Spotify, amazing brand, huge audience. But if you think what value could we potentially bring to them, they have X number of subscribers, probably not going to increase their subscription price. But bundling two digital subscriptions together increases the price overall, which then they can take a rev share, so they get increased revenue, but also two subscriptions together means less churn, because now the user is locked into two great products for an amazing price. And obviously, Spotify is on a mission to find higher margin businesses to play in, right? A lot of their money goes out the door to the labels today, and they're, you know, they're placing big bets on podcasts because they see it as a larger margin business and something that they can, you know, maybe win away from Apple to an extent. And uh, I think, you know, bundling subscriptions and taking a piece of that action too is another way for them to diversify the audience base and the, the revenue stream. Exactly. It's always how can we provide value to both sides? And if it makes sense going full force across that whole vertical, then one of the areas in which, you know, we're following this really closely right now is the streaming wars, right? I mean, for years, we've seen entertainment bundles. So this is this is nothing new, right? When you could get, you know, free HBO or stars with um, some sort of subscription or, you know, bundled in with your mobile phone service. So now that we see greater consolidation in media and entertainment, what do you think the future holds for these streaming platforms that are all competing for new audiences and and more consumer spend? I think there will be a ton of bundling. Um, There are only so many subscriptions that people can pay for. And I think we're starting to see that on Amazon of their tag along subscriptions of HBO and Showtime. And I think that that's proving that it's working. And so I wouldn't be surprised if we see that more and more. But it's also interesting to see players like Disney come into the mix, right? Who has this 
huge vault of amazing content where potentially parents might think, okay, as long as I subscribe to Disney Plus, I actually don't need everyone else. And some people find that there's not enough new content. They're always looking for new things on Netflix. And even though there's this massive library, they want more. And I'm curious to see the implications of COVID and unable to film new content, what happens to all of these different players. Yeah, it's something that we're all now just starting to deal with. And the implications might not be fully visible until you know the next six to 12 months because people are burning through those content libraries, right? There's only so much back catalog to go around. And with a lot of production delayed or maybe for the foreseeable future on hold, that question really comes to bear. You know, I saw some of the recent data that Netflix and Hulu have the lowest churn rates, uh, whereas other platforms like HBO and some of these other premium programmers are really grappling with the fact that, you know, they're running out of this original content, which is supposed to maintain an audience at a pretty high subscription price. And as we're talking about churn too, did you see that actually multiple times Netflix CEO has mentioned that they unsubscribe people from Netflix if they see that they're not being active over X amount of months. I thought that was pretty ballsy and pretty cool to see. What did you think about that? I haven't heard that, but I think that, I mean, that's a really strong bet on your value proposition, right? I mean, if you're going to say, hey, we're only going to be billing people who are seriously engaged in using the service and we're not, you know, sitting around just trying to build people's credit cards if they're not logging in. I mean, I think that's great if you're trying to build long-term loyalty among consumers and you're trying to convince the street that, yes, we've raised all this debt and yes, we're investing heavily in original programming, but, you know, this audience base is real. So um, that is, you're right, it's, it's a bold play, but I think, uh, you know, it, it comes back to Netflix's values and their mission. And I think ultimately the winners and losers here are not necessarily among the streaming players. It's really cable television, right? And yeah. coronavirus more than anything is just accelerating a lot of these digital trends we're already seeing, chief among them probably cord cutting. So true. I'm always thinking about how, we bring Toucan's values into the product too. And I always thought that was really interesting from a leadership perspective and how they really flaunt that within the press and also put that into action. Because I think back to my mom, who until five years ago was still paying for an AOL email address. Wow. <laughs> what are some of the, the Toucan values that you look at embodying within the product? So... We want to be able to provide access for education. And so right now we're trying to figure out how does that manifest within the product? What amount of content do we put before paywall? Do we not uh, monetize on a subscription? Is it something else? And so we're toying with a bunch of different ideas. And since we're so early, we're able to test this out. Even something of we're going to be partnering with a bunch of schools because Chromebooks are massive. And I never had a Chromebook when I was in school. But now Google has placed them into all different types of classrooms. And so we want the students, no matter where they come from, to be able to really have access to Toucan content and learn with it. And so is it specific segments of our user base that gets audience and never sees a paywall. Um, just running through all of those questions on a day-to-day -day basis. 
How has coronavirus impacted Toucan? I mean, obviously, you started this business a year ago, and no one could have expected what was going to happen in 2020. But uh, what are the assumptions that maybe you and your co-founders now have to re-examine? And what are some of the things that you've done to protect the business or set it up for long-term success in this new environment? Yes. So once COVID started becoming very well known that this was happening, um, really early in March, we decided right away, okay, let's go remote. And what was interesting is that you saw a lot of panic within tech and investors really looking at their own portfolio, their current portfolio, making sure everyone is okay. And Toucan got a lot of inbound interest during that time. I think people were looking for safe harbors. EdTech tends to be one of those, especially with education being a universal need and language specifically, like humans need to be able to communicate with one another, that we raised another round of funding during that time. So that really set Toucan up for enduring success where now we have runway for two plus years if we didn't figure out any monetization means, which as a team that provides some stability for us to be able to go play with different things um, and also bring some additional team members on, not have to do any types of layoffs, which we've seen a lot across tech have to happen during these last few months. Yeah, that's a really fortunate position. And, you know, I think every business right now is trying to examine, okay, well, how can we do more with less? How do we, you know, change or, or adjust the strategy based on uh, how the macroeconomic landscape has shifted? But it's incredible that you're able to take advantage of it and show investors, hey, we're a good bet right now. We're going to hire people. We're going to grow in spite of everything going on. And, you know, digital is going to continue to accelerate as more people are spending time on their phones, on web browsers, right? And have maybe some time to learn a new language. Maybe it's a confluence of things that leads to a new opportunity. Exactly. And from a consumer tech perspective, it's super interesting because people are stuck inside most of their day. And so they're so willing to try new things. And so we're seeing our users tell other people about Toucan that then tell other people about Toucan. And we have this really interesting word of mouth growth. It may have happened without COVID, but I think it's definitely accelerating our user growth because everyone's stuck inside. What's coming next? If you had to make three predictions for the future of the media space, what would they be? I think you'll see more and more in the browser extension space. Honey's acquisition, $4 billion last year. I raised our first round before that happened. I wish it was right after. But I think that it's becoming obvious that this is a really interesting ecosystem with a massive distribution channel and so many interesting use cases. I don't know if you've seen Netflix Party. My fiance loves it. Right? It's so interesting. And there's so many things that you do on the web, so much value could provide to different people and use cases. And actually, if anyone ends up building a browser extension, please email me because we're building a Slack group community on that. So that's definitely number one. I think um, number two, we'll see a lot more companies come into attack, right? Like who knows how long COVID will last or how many more iterations of this. And if remote work, but remote learning also is a thing to stay for a really long time. So I'm excited to see all the new innovation that comes out of the space in general. And then media, I think 
the short form to capture people's attentions really interesting, but we also see examples like Quibi, right? Where they've raised a massive amount of money and maybe this time wasn't the best for them because they don't have people that are commuting or traveling or have these little in-between moments. So maybe we'll see things skewed towards the long form moments that people really want to dive deeper in and consume. I think those are all phenomenal predictions. And in fact, a few comments on each, you know, on the Quibi point, I signed up right when it first came out, was excited about Quibi. I, you know, admit I've been a bit of a skeptic all along because I think they're paying a little bit too much for content, especially buying it in both vertical and horizontal formats. But I was, you know, willing to give it a try, watch some of the original series. Nothing necessarily hooked me. I liked one of the shows from, uh, from, I think it was Funny or Die, and then found myself mostly watching the news content. So BBC and NBC News, just to get, you know, the little snippet every morning and every evening. It was just kind of nice to see what was going on in the world. But after my 90-day trial, as someone who had used the products almost every day, I didn't find myself in a position where I said, you know, I'm willing to pay whatever, $6.99 a month for ads or whatever, $9.99 a month for no ads. And I liked the product. If it had been an ad-supported service i would definitely keep using it but uh i moved on oh that's so interesting so you were an actual engaged user but you still churned out that's right so i think that's what they are going to be grappling with right there's no must-see programming they've got some big stars but nothing necessarily made me feel like i had to keep coming back i said okay well you know the new stuff is mostly what i'm watching i can get that on their sites or I can, you know, get it on YouTube uh, in terms of just like little video recaps. So I think that's going to be their biggest challenge is you're competing against so many other entertainment options and so much free content that I just don't see people willing to pay for it today. Yeah. And James, when I downloaded it and was trying it out, I noticed that I couldn't screenshot different things that I wanted to send to friends or share on social which I'm not sure if they really thought that out because that almost seems like the perfect opportunity to draw even more people in and create this community around all the content that they're building. Yeah. So we'll see. It's still early. They've got a lot of time to, to learn and pivot, hopefully. Uh, a lot of people will say, hey, don't bet against Jeffrey Katzenberg and Meg Whitman. I have had my doubts all along, but uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Totally. I mean, they're superstars, so hoping that they pull it through and especially a big win for LA if they do. But I want to talk a little bit more about EdTech because I think you're right. It's prime for disruption. It's a space that needs more attention now more than ever. Mm -hmm. So what do you see as the biggest challenges facing EdTech, coronavirus related or, or otherwise? And you know what is Toucan doing to position itself in that landscape and think about helping future generations of learners? So if you look at this past year, we have maybe... 10 new unicorns, and they're all within EdTech, which is wild and amazing. But most of them were founded probably 10 years ago. So it's been a really slow burn for them to get up to the speed. And if you look at the category of EdTech in general, a lot of these companies were really building for the old way of things and really a digitized classroom, as one of my co-founders, Brandon, likes to say. And so how do we get people to learn things when they're not really realizing it? Um, a concept called invisible learning that one of our investment firms 
Bitcoin GSV ventures. So I think we'll see that more and more of, are you playing a video game and now you're learning how to code? And so fun things disguised as learning so that it really compounds over time, but you're not realizing the extent to which it's education focused versus more fun. Yeah. You know, I think we're seeing more and more examples of that, whether it's being folded into video games or folded into, you know, these in-browser experiences, incorporating the learning elements into, you know, these everyday functions, these everyday tasks makes it more organic. Like you said earlier, you taught yourself to code on YouTube. That didn't exist, you know, a generation ago. This is a full new phenomenon. Exactly. And I think one of the interesting pieces that I reflect on too from my years of education is I typically got straight A grades. Like I ended up getting a full ride academic scholarship to an amazing university. But when I think back, even just one subject like Spanish from kindergarten through eighth grade, nine years of my life, all I remember from that whole time is Donde Esta La Biblioteca, where is the library? And it's so common for so many people for Spanish 101 to just remember that. And in Canada, there's a very similar thing, but in French, and it's like, where is the pineapple or something very silly like that. My reflection is like, how do we get people to learn things, not just to get a good grade, but actually remember it for the long term? and have it stick with you. So it's not just a memorize, get a good grade, purge the information, but Mm -hmm. it sticks with you throughout the years. What does the future hold for Toucan? Right now, we're super laser focused on languages. We have five languages to start, French, Portuguese, Spanish, Italian, and German. We're going to be extending our language categories. Um, We're also really diving deeper into the experience. So We just launched audio pronunciations. We'll start allowing you to see your progress, how much you've learned. On average, our users have been engaging with over a thousand learning moments a day, which is like pretty crazy from a compounding over time perspective. But now we'll be able to reflect that value back to the users. Um, We'll have interesting jumping off points for you to dive deeper and quiz yourself or challenge yourself and do different fun exercises all within your browser and layered on top of the websites you're already visiting. So you don't have to take extra time to do any of these activities. And every single exercise we're building, the tech around will then eventually be able to use it, as I mentioned, for other subject verticals. Um, So we definitely have that in the back of our mind of the future of Toucan, but really laser focused on languages right now. And Taylor, one of the questions that I ask everyone who comes on the show, and you'll have a different perspective on this, given you're still right in the midst of uh, the early stages of Toucan. But I I like to ask people, if you were starting a business in the digital media space today, what would you do? And so the, the thesis behind the question is just, you know, I find that there's this part of being an entrepreneur, there's an element of your brain that you just can't switch off, where you're constantly thinking of new ideas, or you're coming across a problem. And you're like, gosh, if I wasn't doing this full time and absolutely loving it, this might be something else that has caught my attention and I want to tackle. So is there anything like that that nags at you in the back of your mind? Yeah. So mine would for sure be to research. Like if something's in the back of your mind, you keep thinking about it, you keep coming back to it. Like do every search on Google, find every little thing you can about what has existed in the space before, what others have done, what has worked, what hasn't, 
really to inform your opinion on it too and understand like does this already exist has this already been solved what have other people done also talk to people about it I feel a lot of times people are very hesitant to share their ideas or opinions with others for fear of it getting stolen but actually I think it's really good to do that because you see the types of questions they're and what holes they're poking into the idea, which then allows you to go down more rabbit holes of research, really refine the idea before you take any drastic steps of like going into it full time. At the end of the day, it's all about execution, right? I have the same philosophy that if you really want to understand something, you have to share it with people, you have to ask questions, you have to let them help you beat up the idea on, from every angle. And then that's what ultimately strengthens it, helps you identify the weak points and you know find the best path forward. Exactly. That's exactly what I've done with this idea, James. And it's helped like tenfold. Taylor, where can people find out more about you and more about Toucan? Yeah, so Toucan, you can visit jointoucan.com. Or follow us on Twitter at jointucan.com. And then I'm all over Twitter at Taylor underscore Neiman, N-I-E-M-A-N. And then my email is Taylor, T-A-Y-L-O-R, at jointucan.com. Awesome. Well, Taylor, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's so great to hear the origin story behind Toucan and also your experience brokering partnerships with some of these really large organizations, how you're taking that knowledge and applying it to language learning today and just sharing you know, your entrepreneurial lessons. It's been such a blast. So thank you again. Thank you, James. I appreciate it. And I appreciate everyone listening to this as well. Thanks for tuning in. I'm James Creech, and this has been another edition of All Things Video. If you like what you hear, we hope you'll share and subscribe for new episodes. See you next time.
Thanks for tuning in. I'm James Creech, and this has been another edition of All Things Video. If you like what you hear, we hope you'll share and subscribe for new episodes. See you next time.